Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Hi everyone, I'm Amy. And I'm Maya. And today we will be discussing advocacy in the face of racism. Today we're joined by a special guest, Kira Omens. Hello. Uh, Kira, if you want to tell everybody um, where you're from and, you know, what your focus of advocacy is, that would be awesome. Sure. I was adopted from Zhongshan, China when I was 10 months old, and now I live in Los Angeles. My primary focus in advocacy is just adoption, education, and awareness, especially among adoptive parents, and also supporting and uplifting the adoptee community and just making sure that um, our outreach is reaching the people who really need that support. Awesome. I especially like you don't see a lot of um, people talking about the APs because, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about APs and, you know, historically speaking for adoptees. So I feel like the newer generation, we're focusing on our voices, which is also really crucial, but having somebody to bridge the gap between both is I think really essential as well. I completely agree. Yeah. I love, love, love learning more about from adoptees and just being able to relay what I learned to adoptive parents who reach out to me, who read my articles or anything that I've written or um, any of my videos that they've seen, I just automatically become in contact with some of them. And so being able to share what adoptee voices are projecting is super valuable. Thank you for joining us again. I really appreciate (laughs) you coming back. (laughs) So how did you become an advocate, Akira? So what really launched my advocacy was winning the 2015 Pacific Miss Asian American pageant. I was using intercultural understanding as my platform in the pageant to raise awareness and to speak about those causes. And from there, just really narrowed in my focus on the adoptee community just because I received so much support from everyone in it. And the more I got to know people and the more I got to know the issues that everyone was fighting for, I just was so feeling so passionate about that and just have really been with it ever since. I mean, it's a really powerful community. It's very small but mighty group of people um, and everyone's very empathetic and supportive of one another. And um Though we all have our own experiences and obviously like we can't agree on everything, I really think that the community does a good job of uplifting one another and being there for each other during times of hardship. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. The community has been so supportive, especially with the recent um, attacks going on. Absolutely. It's good that everyone can kind of come together despite, you know, the the differences within, you know, when Mm -hmm. when it's really needed, like now. Yeah. Although it's sad that we have to come together. Um, yeah. I completely reasons. agree. Yeah. Um, what does advocacy look like to you? For myself, I believe that it's just using your voice however you can. Whatever platform you have, whoever is in your life, just using your voice to speak about and to share issues and awareness and educational resources um, about those issues that are important to you. And I think that just being an advocate for yourself in your own community um, involves sharing those resources with the other people in your life and your other following, no matter how big or small your platform is. And also in 
being an advocate for yourself and other marginalized groups in your own life, just in your own social circles, if someone says something, speaking up and just being an informed and educated person. Definitely. I really like that you mentioned the, you know, speaking up in your own personal circles, because I feel like that gets lost a lot, especially like, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to surround myself with people who, you know, of course don't think like that, but, you know, some people make jokes and they don't really mm. realize the impact that they can have. And so it's kind of like in those moments more than ever, you need to say something. Otherwise, it normalizes that in a group of people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You just have to have a no tolerance for that kind of behavior. And I mean, microaggressions are so rampant. And because not everyone is cyst, but there is such a thing as racial insensitivity. And that needs to be called out as well, because it would, it'll just allow stereotypes and allow prejudice to flourish. For sure. Absolutely agree. And I feel like for um, a lot of adoptees, you know, recognizing um, some of these microaggressions is a bit harder because we are not as in tuned and we haven't been like kind of taught what racism is and like because I mean if most of us were adopted into white families right and so they can't really experience racism um, the way that we do and so they aren't really able to prepare us for it. Absolutely. And a lot of the time we're taught that the microaggressions that you know other people might catch as small acts of racism they're coming from our own family which is sad but true yeah Yeah. so we're we're specifically taught these are these are jokes these are fine this is okay Mm -hmm. and we grow up and realize it's not and it needs to be talked about more exactly i feel like that just plays in so much to the model minority myth that Mm -hmm. achievement is, is assimilation and by being quiet and keeping our heads down and just going along with everything and not rocking the boat, then we're perpetuating a positive image of being Asian in America. And that's just not true. It does not protect us from Mm. these transgressions at all. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I know like, because you're talking about how we should, you know, advocate in our personal circles. And and in the last episode that we're doing on this subject, um, what we kind of talked about is how it's almost harder, though, to, you know, speak about our experiences and educate our family members and our loved ones. Because, you know, if they disagree, the backlash is so much more personal and like affects our lives a lot more than if it's, you know, just a random stranger that we see in passing or on the internet uh, where the backlash is pretty, pretty minimal on our life. Yeah. It's kind of like how, of course you can stand up to a stranger or you can, you know, turn away from people you don't know because you'll never see them again. But it's for some people, it's giving up their entire family if they speak out too much, which is, you know, mm-hmm. an, an impossible choice sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced um, any sort of backlash from your family, Kira? Or have they been, like, mostly supporting? A little bit, surprisingly. I was not expecting this at all because my parents tend to be very educated and actively anti-racist. But I was very surprised that on a recent post that I made about humanizing the victims of this shooting – while America is choosing to humanize the uh, the white terrorist active shooter. And my mom, without 
texting me beforehand or calling me or anything just replies onto the Facebook post that she's insulted that I would generalize America in that way and that it was just representative of one person. And I was curious, first of all, and I, again, I don't mean to just call out my mom publicly, but it put me in a very, very uncomfortable position because she commented so publicly on that post. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who see my posts in the community and would think twice about my values because like if I was unwilling to stand up to my own mom or like comment um, in reply or just like delete the whole thing and see that division in my own family. So it just put me in a really uncomfortable position. And what I ended up doing was replying to her about how being a person of color in America is a very, very different experience than being a white person in America. And that we can't like our level of patriotism is not the same. Our experiences in this country are not the same. Um, There are legislation and justice systems and societal structures breed these white supremacists and these people who turn to violence to get their points across. And um, and it's just very different. And again, not to get too, too into it. And I know my mother would move heaven and earth for me and she's my best friend and I still love her so much. But it was really difficult to after that, have a conversation over text where I was trying to explain these things and why that wasn't the most sensitive way to go about this, even if she did disagree um, Mm. and all of that stuff. And so it was very difficult and I'm not sure if we've truly resolved it as of yet. And I feel like I'm probably going to have to bring that conversation up to her again. But for the time being, I just told her, look, I am really not in an emotional space to have this conversation with you right now. I need that distance and it's important to me that we preserve our relationship, but to do that, we need to not discuss this. And I would really encourage you to take your education around surrounding this topic into your own hands so that I don't have to be the one to tell you all of these things. Mm-hmm. I think that was, that was a really good way of handling that, actually. Yeah. So hopefully, because, <laughs> but I think that um, in terms of being worried about what other people think in terms of like the discourse between your mom, I think that there's quite a few adoptees who might actually be able to relate with you more because of that um, with having conservative, really conservative and sometimes racist um, parents. Mm-hmm. So I know there was um, this post going ar- around about someone who posted in, I think, the Times magazine. And they're basically saying how sometimes APs don't recognize that, you know, they see you as their child and they love you and you're Asian and you just happen to be Asian. And they don't understand how that, how if they love you, they could be racist to another Asian And it's very important that we educate our APs about that. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up just because it is possible. I mean, my grandfather is ultra conservative Trump supporter, and my mom just does not fundamentally understand how he can love me and my brother, who are Asian, so much and still believe those things. And like you said, it is possible. And I think that needs to be like awareness needs to be raised about that too, because I think a lot of people are in that case and just don't um, have that perspective to self-reflect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it also puts the, I feel like it puts the adoptees in a very difficult position because, you know, they, they know what that grandparent or, you know, family members, what their beliefs are is, is wrong and it, it kind of goes against them and it can create, I think, a lot of confusion and, maybe some resentment. And I just think that's a very hard situation to navigate. 
And I think yeah. that, you know, as adoptee, we already have enough hard situations mm-hmm. to navigate in terms of our just understanding our own identities mm-hmm. and then to add these kinds of um, issues on top. Yeah. It creates a lot of cognitive dissonance, I think, for us to to both try to be educators, but also how much do we take on without burning ourselves, you know, overly speaking. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a really good point about, um, you know, we're, we're taking a lot on in terms of like our mental health and mm-hmm. how it can be quite a burden. So Kira, what do you do? Um, I know you said you can kind of step back a bit with your mom um, after that disagreement. But just in general, what when do you when do you know that like enough advocating is enough and like you just need to take some time to yourself? be completely honest, it's very difficult for me. And um, I hope that other people are able to relate just because um, I know at least in my own circle, a lot of my friends are just like, seem like you're able to take such good care of your mental health, but also still fight for the things you care about. And that's not always the case. I'm not perfect. Um, I am just human and oftentimes will just get so sucked into everything going on that I just can't pull away from my phone. I just feel like by not being present and learning as much as I can in that moment that I'm like, betraying the people that I care about. And like, I mean, when I step away, I'll just feel so guilty and just horrible because I just can't stop thinking about what's happening. So I turn to my phone, I turn to social media to remedy that and to feel that sense of community. And, but at the same time, it's just such a hard, never ending cycle because by ingesting more information, it can just be exhausting. Then by turning away from it, I feel like, I'm not doing enough. And so I think it's a really, really difficult balance. I mean, I just last week just had a complete meltdown, just like feeling so horrible about everything that was going on in the world and in my personal life. And just like it shouldn't have taken to get to that point, but that was definitely a wake up call. And my fiance was just like, look, let's get your favorite food and just like watch a movie and just relax and just slowly begin to distance yourself from it a little bit. And so because and something that I've told other people and have been told myself that resonates with me is just you can't you can't be the best fighter. You can't be the best advocate if you're not taking care of yourself. So you need to come first practicing self-love and self-care and all of that so that you can be better for other people. Mm-hmm. That's, That's such so a true. Point. Yeah. It's a good partner you have. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking yeah. that. very sweet. <laughs> it's definitely well, like- hard. I, I know that he feels helpless in a lot of ways because he's white <laughs> and he's just like, I'm going to do oh. my best. <laughs> Aww, but trying. I think it's really nice that he's trying. Yeah. You know, he's trying to be supportive without, you know, trying to take away from the validity of your feelings, which I think is a really hard line for some people to find, but it sounds like he's really working at it. I mean, definitely. I think that um, I've encountered a lot of adoptive parents that will just dismiss their kids' feelings because they don't understand them and they think that they're trying to help them feel better. Like, oh, well, you have no reason to feel this way because this, 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 and this. 
um, in our society. And it's just like, well, by dismissing the validity of your kids' feelings, you're just suppressing them. And so those are never fully explored. explored. Those are never fully felt. And so they can never, um, they don't feel like they can voice those and find that yeah. community. And I feel like that can cause a lot of turmoil within yourself too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, just lots of feelings of isolation. I think, I know my dad is definitely guilty of this. And a lot of people too, they'll say like, or they'll dismiss it in a way without trying to dismiss it saying, oh, well, you know, there are always, you know, bad people in the world. There's always going to be somebody out there that doesn't like that, but there's so much more, or it's just, oh, it's just a crazy person, or it's just this, or it's just that. And mm -hmm. without even realizing it, they're saying that like, this isn't a real concern that you have to face day to day. And I think that that also, you know, that's one way to try to be supportive without really letting those people, the people, their children really explore what's happening and talk about it and have that open conversation. I think that that happens a lot too, without people even realizing that that's just a way to silence people, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. I think you put it really well, Amy, just in that those kind of statements while coming from a place of wanting to make you feel better, do minimize what you're going through. And so it's, it's hard because when you're talking to people who haven't lived it, who don't truly understand it. It's really difficult for them to imagine putting yourself in that kind of position. And I feel like one of the reasons is because it is so traumatic. Like you can't fully process what it's like unless you've lived it. And so just taking a step back for those people and having them, I just feel like truly listen and validate what you're going through um, while providing emotional support as they can is so important. Absolutely. The key to a strong, you know, social network of support. Mm -hmm. Make or break a relationship, especially right now, at least not permanently, but you know, it can really damage the ties that you've built with people. For sure. Also, just a disclaimer, if you see me like looking this way or like look frowning or something, it's because my rabbits are over there and sometimes like they act really, like, really sus. <laughs> so, I'm like, okay. what are you eating? Now? What are you doing? I have an eye on Bella. When she starts moving, it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> my bird's in the other room so she can't oh. scream at you. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Everyone, such a variety of pets we have. I love it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> What kind of bird do you have? I know this is like totally off topic, but. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, I have a little budgie. Um, oh. She has little gray purple belly and little yellow face and wings. And oh my she's God. cute. What's <laughs> name? Her name's Juniper, but we call her Juju. Or oh, I call so her Juju B a lot. Oh my God, wait, oh. I love that. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. You'll have to send us a photo of your bird sometime. Yeah, I will. I yeah. will. Does she, she have an Instagram account? Can we tag her? Yeah. <laughs> she has a TikTok. And okay, sorry, this is getting so off topic. <laughs> but um, yeah, my friend was just like, you should make her one just for fun. And now she has a thousand followers and I have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, my God. So just like, drop that in the social media drop and we'll follow. Don't you worry. Yeah. So cool. I will. <laughs> A little levity in between a oh, yeah. topic. Yeah. We got to keep it light, you know, for our own mental health. <laughs> yes. For our listeners, we will definitely plug the TikTok for uh, yeah. Juju. 
I got you. <laughs> Bella's uh, already on the Instagram a lot, so <laughs> glad I'm all the incredible. Yes. <laughs> um, I guess I can ask the next question. Okay. Okay. Um. So, as Asian adoptees, we I feel like we often have to um, explain our legitimacy um, when we're advocating for you know, um, anti Asian. No. We're not advocating for anti-Asian. We're advocating against anti-Asian racism. And so I think, like, you know, just in general, there there's tends to be a lot of gatekeeping around, you know, what it means to be Asian just on a daily basis. Um, Absolutely. But now I think that especially with um, the racism growing, some Asian Americans I have seen in comments or, you know, posts, et cetera, you know, they kind of, shame Asian adoptees for expressing their opinions, their views, their support, um, because they're not, they're saying, oh, you're not Asian enough. You're not, you don't represent the Asian community. And so you, you don't get to, you know, speak about this. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the points that I think is fair to acknowledge that they have is that um, we don't have Asian grandparents, or most of us, most of us don't have Asian grandparents that we need to be concerned about um, for their safety because many of us were adopted into white families. So that that is, I guess, in some way, some sort of privilege. But I think that as Asian adoptees, we also face, um, I think racism for us is a lot harder to process because we come from white families and we're not educated about it. And we, you know, we're also often experiencing it from our own um, families, right? And I think it's hard to respond. I saw a post about post about this too, which is how do you respond to racism when it's coming from people who look like your family, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or exactly. from people who are your family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of these critics just like you mentioned, take issue with adoptees not getting the full Asian experience just because they believe that we are shielded by our family's white privilege. Mm-hmm. And obviously there is a level of economic privilege that many of us have because adoption is expensive and the whole system is um, very nuanced in that way. But we all know what it's like to be Asian in America. I mean, hate crime perpetrators aren't going to take the time to find out if we were raised in our own ethnicity That's not the way that those people's minds and that's not the way that white supremacy in this country operates. I mean, I I know many adoptees' parents have attempted to shield them from those issues. I think my parents are definitely part of that just because, like, they love me and they want to protect me. But that's not not completely effective. I mean, yeah. uh, And... Another point to that is just that some adoptees don't have the accessibility to the resources that would help them become more connected to their culture because their parents might not have provided them or they're just not in a diverse community. And that's through no fault of their own. And so to gatekeep and to invalidate their experiences is, again, just further suppressing them and further encouraging them to obtain or like to adhere to the model minority myth and to ignore the problems that they're facing rather than speaking up about it and being active participants in the fight against white supremacy. And I mean, aside from that, I just think gatekeeping is not particularly productive. It's needlessly divisive. And I 
think that we're just so much stronger together when we can educate other people in a united front. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100% I think that's a really important point, though, that because because we are we are so much stronger together. I mean, there's so many analogies for this, like you know, it's like the you know one piece of paper you can tear really easily, but you know, if you the more pieces of paper you have together, the harder it is to tear. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I've never heard that before. I love that. I think there's like all kinds of different little renditions of it, but I, I think it is very true. I mean, even in superhero films, right? They want to break the superheroes up because they know yeah. that they can't, you know, exactly. the superheroes together, they can't defeat them. Mm-hmm. And I hope that, you know, the more and more that people speak out and having people, especially in the adoptee community, being those voices and making that more normalized, it at least starts to to bridge that divide that seems to be there for some people you know mm-hmm. like you said no one's checking to see you know oh like oh you grew up with this well, last name oh okay i'm gonna skip their you research. yeah like that would just be right. no they're just going out they don't even attack asia they're like oh you look kind of like sure that's fine that's close enough you know yeah they're just blinded right. by the hate essentially and so while our our last names and our, being adoptees gives us certain privileges like you know on a roster they might not you know recognize us as asian you know at the end of the day when we go out into the world we're asian we're we present as asian. asian exactly you know nothing is going to stop that from being one of the things that unfortunately one of the first things they recognize and notice about us mhm and I wonder if this plays any impact, but I know that I assume that most of us grew up in more white communities because we were adopted into white families. I don't know if that also makes it a bit harder for adoptees um, because we stand out more. I know. I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania. And when I was, you know, even before everything that happened, um, or like as things were building or just over the last year, whenever I was back home, I was just a little more on edge because right now I'm in you know, a fairly mixed area, but back in Pennsylvania, it's a lot of white people. And it just, I was so aware over and over again that I was the only Asian in a surrounding or situation. And it just made me more on edge because if something happens, is someone going to speak out? Is anybody going to stop it? Right. Or are they going to all join in? Are they going to, you know, root for if anything happens? You know, my dad, I was talking to him about this and he said, you know, I never thought that and I never wanted you to have to face these kinds of things and talk about it. I, I just never thought about it. And I said, I know you didn't, but that's also part of the thing is you never thought about it. Mm-hmm. This whole, you know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's hard for them. Mm-hmm. I think that any um, AP with an Asian child right now, they should be checking in on them and saying, hey, how, how are you, you know, coping with everything mm-hmm. going on right now? And at least for me personally, none of my family has, you know, reached out to me. Um, and so when that happened to me on Saturday, I it was really hard because then I didn't know if I should reach out to them about it. Oh. And yeah, no, so I just kept it to myself, yeah. myself and oh, a couple of no. friends. Oh, and then yeah. I cried on the phone to my manager because I was supposed to work that afternoon. I'm like, I really don't think I can do this. Yeah, no. Oh, I probably should explain for the listeners. Um, so I was talking with Amy and Kira before uh, we started recording about how last Saturday, which is ironically after I recorded the, um, first couple of advocacy episodes, um, I went to Kensington Market with 
my friend, um, which is a really diverse um, neighborhood. And it's because it was such a beautiful day out, there's loads of people around. Um, and, you know, so I was just walking, <laughs> walking down the sidewalk. And out of nowhere, this guy sticks out his arm and just like shoves me in the face with his fist. Um, and, you know, a lot because there were so many people around, um, people, you know, did say, oh, asked if I was okay and stuff. But, you know, in that moment, I was just so in shock. And like, I was just like, just keep going. And it took, wait, like too too much time for me to process it, I think. And I think, you know, after the fact, um, when I was talking to my manager on the phone about it, she said, oh, you should have called the police. But, you know, in that moment, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't that even crossed my mind. And by the time she had said that had been like an, an hour or so after the fact. Mm. So I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, um, <laughs> In that moment, it's very hard to know what you're supposed to do. Mm. And so just try and keep going forward, I think. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It shouldn't be. The other thing is that it shouldn't be your responsibility to have to have all of those things present in your mind when something so horrific happens to you. I mean, that's why awareness and education and just other people getting involved and other people being allies is so important because if the people around you had known the resources like to report hate crimes to write down everything that was going on to file a police report or any of those things it could have been different and again none of that's on you like that it's horrible what happened to you and again like you were processing things like it shouldn't be on you to handle all of those things you went through something horrible and you just need to have a supportive community and supportive people around you who are willing to take on those extra burdens because again like you should just be focusing on yourself and your own self-care and just everything that you need to, I mean, like I said before, when we were talking, but just what you need to Mm -hmm. make yourself feel better and what's going to be best for you and putting yourself first. And so, I mean, that's why it's so important for other people to just not be bystanders and to be active in helping other people. Mm -hmm. It's just just horrible what happened to you. And I'm I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry too, because now I just... When I walk outside, it's it's not the same anymore. Yeah. And it's understandable, too, that, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think something like that could happen to to many of us without us feeling some kind of way, feeling less safe in our own community. It's just, it's it's Mm -hmm. awful. The You know, people think a lot about the immediate and what happens and are you physically okay, but they don't think about, you know, just what an event like that can do to you for long term. And it's just yeah it's awful i've been trying to carry on because part of me is um also like if you let the feelings like kind of holds you back then you're kind of letting that person i'm letting that man have that power over me still so i'm just trying to like get over as quick as i can but i i also realize that it's it's not something that you can just get over but at the same time like get over it maya (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes you just do it a day at a time, you know, day at a time, step by step. Yeah. Absolutely. I just applaud you for your 
literally what you just said, the strength and resiliency that you have to even have that mindset right now after (laughs) that happened to you. I'm just in awe of you right now. It's not easy. I can't even imagine what kind of things are going through your mind right now. And to just, again, have the resiliency to be like, I'm not going to let him have that power over me because you'd be well within your right to just Oh yeah, inside and <laughs> like wallow I, wallow. I think. I mean, so I just <laughs> think that you're incredible and so strong for. I mean, even just going out again and That's such high praise. The world. <laughs> Especially from so you. True. So. <laughs> yeah, but also just if for any listeners who you know have experienced something similar, which I hope none of you have. Uh, there is no right right way to react or handle the situation just because this is my way of dealing with it. That's not mean it's the right way to do it or it's the right way for you to handle it. Mm-hmm. And we will be posting um, a lot of resources. I now will be posting even more, even more. <laughs> um, so please do check them out. Um, I reported um, in Canada because we don't have the stop Asian hate um, organization here or anti. I'm not quite sure what it is in the States, but we don't have that here. We've got some other Canadian versions. And so after the fact, you know, after I like cried about it for a little bit, um, I went online and I actually um, filled out one of the reporting and incident um, forums. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if that information helps at all, but at least, you know, for me, it was slightly therapeutic. <laughs> um, yeah. It just mm-hmm. it gave me some peace of mind. And what one of the organizations was doing, I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but they were creating a map of all the instances that have been reported. So you can see on a map, um, I guess maybe the idea is that you can see where more of them are <laughs> happening. So you can, you know, be more mentally aware when you're going to those spaces. So that's, that mm. makes sense. That's smart. Awful that it's needed, but it's kind of smart in a mm-hmm. sad way. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I have a question, Kira, because I know that a lot of people um, are posting, you know, to support GoFundMe's and um, these advocating against anti-racism um, organizations. <laughs> Got to make sure I say it the right way. Um, what do you do? You know where this funding goes? What it does? I've been wondering that. I'm not. As well versed in the exact like resources um, or the what happens to the funds right after. I know for um, certain GoFundMe's, they'll say like 100% of these funds goes to the victims' families. In some of the GoFundMe's that I've seen for um, the families of the victims of the Atlanta shooting, um, I mean, I saw this one GoFundMe just this morning that um, was set to benefit um, someone's grandmother who was punched in the face and the grandmother decided to, yeah, donate everything back. Um, And so I'm not entirely sure. I think that like, it's helpful when people like say what the funds completely go to and, and for certain organizations, it's different. And so I, I've just been having to do my research and be like, okay, who's like, are, are these going towards this, this, victims like sons or like is it going toward their families like um yeah so i'm not i'm not entirely sure okay <laughs> i was just wondering if you had the answer because i see <laughs> i see a lot of people saying oh go you know if you want to help go donate money um but 
at least from my background, because I do um, environmental science and like conservation. I know like these all these organizations say, oh, donate money to like WWF. Um, but I know like a lot of these organizations, you know, they use you donate all this money, but only so much of it, like a very small percentage of it actually goes towards conservation efforts mm-hmm. and funding these projects. And a lot of it instead goes to like, um, you know, sending out those stupid stuffies to make you feel good. <laughs> and um, the and management costs and advertising and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like to look at the ones that are specifically for the families who need them the most. And yeah, I at least for what has happened recently, that's where my money has gone or to specific charities that are like um, like one of the ones that I donated to was a charity that makes meals for Asian elders um, under the poverty line. And so looking at charities that are like very specific about what they use their funds for, at least for myself, it just helps with my own peace of mind that like my money's going to where I wanted it to go. That makes sense. And I'm sure people, you know, in their own communities, they can find local ones. And sometimes the local ones are easier to track because like you said, they're a little bit more focalized and they have a very clear, Mm -hmm. distinct, this is exactly what we're doing with this money. And this is exactly what's happening. Um, and then it goes right into that community that may, you may be most closely related to, too, which is exactly, a bonus. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good thing to bring up. Just always in any in any situation, any social um, movement, there's always going to be ones that are you know specific um, and have very pointed, and then more broad ones. And it's just always good to get in the habit of doing your research wherever your money's going, making sure that it's the right place. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't even been thinking about that. There's a lot of information that goes around when something like this happens. A lot of resources, like, just start piling up on people's feeds. And so it is hard to know when you are trying to sift through everything. Yeah. Especially when there's so much, you know, your your emotions are high and you're you're scared Mm -hmm. and you're anxious. You just want to help. You just want to be a part of, like, the positive change. You know, it's easy to get caught up in that. And I know that I've definitely, you know... What can I do right now? I need to help right now. You, you have a lot of feelings inside and then, you know. Mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think you brought up something earlier, I think, and it's, I think it's really important to highlight too, is that when you said everyone reacts differently, uh, I think that that's just because I'm sure, unfortunately, a lot of our listeners have had, you know, smaller things, quote unquote, and then, you know, really uh, um, bigger things, quote unquote. I think all of them are just equally awful. But, you know, whatever you want to do, if you don't want to tell anybody, if you don't want to talk about it, if you want to tell the world, whatever you feel, if you ran away from, you know, the incident, whatever you responded, whatever your fight or flight or freeze intuition kicked in, it's not, none of it's wrong. None of it's wrong. And I don't want anybody listening out there thinking that whatever their, their preservational instinct told them to do was like, bad because at the end of the day we have to survive we have to preserve ourselves and our soul and whatever piece that was momentarily taken away you know it's just so important for you all to know that it's okay whatever whatever you did it's it's okay i completely agree i mean your body just responded in the way that it knew how to keep you safe and if you walked away from that incident and you are here with us then you did the right thing you know like i mean that is the most important 
instance. And again, like it, it's just devastating because I mean, yeah, for regardless of the size of the incident, like it's, it's horrible and it has those lasting effects. But what's most important is that you are away from that now and um, that you're just being gentle with yourself and yeah, not, not thinking back on like, oh, I should have, I should have done this. I should have done that. Like that again, it shouldn't be your responsibility to have to deal with that in the moment. Mm-hmm. You never know. Like we said, some people are really awful and you, you never know when it could be a, what you think was a small thing and, oh, I should have stayed and I should have done something, but you never, it's, a, it's, a, it's horrible. But you never know when it's not going to be small. It could be, I, you know, so whatever, whatever happened, it's okay. Mm-hmm. So one thing I was wondering is when I was reporting my crime, I guess, <laughs> is also, you know, bystanders also have kind of that responsibility to also do the same. Um, I know some bystanders um, get criticized in the moment for not stepping in. And um, I understand that in in the situation, it can be very difficult for you to react in time or just, you know, be able to make that step. But I definitely think that um, after the fact, you know, if you're not able to make sure that the victim is okay, that you should, that it is kind of your responsibility to Know, follow mm-hmm. through with some sort of reporting um, the incident mm-hmm. that happened. But do you think that bystanders should have any other responsibilities, like spreading awareness? I mean, like you said, I completely agree that in that moment, like as unfortunate as it is, like if you were not the victim of what just happened and you witnessed it, that you have valuable information and that you um, are, like whether you like it or not, are now part of that. And yeah, so I completely agree that bystanders have the obligation to help one, like help the victim, make sure they're physically okay, like file a report and um, just to make sure that those actions are taken. Um, I mean, I think that in whatever capacity they're able to make a difference about like, yeah, raising awareness in their own circles, again, like like I said, like whatever platform you have, whatever you can share that will bring value to other people so that like, I mean, if someone else is in a situation that, I mean, one of my favorite quotes that I think about all the time when learning about self-defense is your body can never go where your mind has never been. And I think that's true in a lot of cases for bystanders as well. If your mind has not come up with a scenario of what you would do in that situation, then in the moment, your body will not know what to do. So um, I think that, yeah, if we can make it so that people will, people's minds have been in that situation and they know what they should do, that if that were to, God forbid, ever happen to them, then they would know the steps that they need to take. And so, yeah, raising awareness about that and raising that education so people know what they would do in that situation or what they would be most helpful would definitely be better for Lots of communities. Mm-hmm. I really like that quote. Yeah. Yeah, that's so really true. Good. And then as as victims of these hate crimes, do we also have some um, sort of responsibility to share our story? And so other people know that, you know, you've gone through this and that you're there to support them and you can relate to them. Or even just to also, you know, spread aware- awareness about what's going on right now. Or is it okay, you know, to keep it to ourselves? Yeah. 
I mean, I think it's so different for each individual. And Mm -hmm. like we've said before, just what is going to be best for you in that moment? If you think that it's best for you to share your story and raise that awareness so other people know what's going on and for you to get the support from your community, do it. If you don't feel ready to do that and don't think Mm -hmm. that that'll um, bring you more peace or be therapeutic or cathartic for you, then I would say just do whatever you're feeling because uh, it's so it's so so important, um, especially when you're going through something so tra- traumatic to just check in with yourself. What do I need right now? And what's what do I think is the best thing that's going to make me feel better? Because I know that a lot of people's loved ones and families will try to help in ways that they can, but the only one who truly knows what's going to be best for you is you. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I. I I wouldn't say that there's like a full on responsibility. I think that the biggest responsibility is to just care for yourself and um, everything else can come second to that. Absolutely. I completely agree. Your responsibility is to your own mental health and your own well-being, I think, first and foremost, because, you know, at the end of the day, you're the one who went through something traumatic and you need to you need to process and you need to feel however is going to make you you know, take those steps towards feeling whole again. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I do want to say that, you know, in our quest to advocate for ourselves and, you know, f- band together, it's also really crucial that we not try to compare our movement to other movements and mm-hmm. diminish other movements because, you know, I, I see that happening and I think that that's the last thing that any community should be doing. I think, you know, I, I think we said this before, there's not a finite amount of sadness or happiness, or there's no finite amount of emotions that can be had. So just because, you know, we're what, like, we're talking about one thing doesn't mean that the other can't be just as important in its own place and its own space and at the same time, even. So I think that that's just really crucial to always remember is we we can be advocates for ourselves without putting others down it's like we need to uplift women all together we need to uplift everybody all together i think that that's really crucial always oh absolutely i mean i think that in rooting out the problems and the issues in our society that allow racism to flourish there has to be solidarity there has to be and we can't pick and choose what injustice is is like the worst or because they're all they're all horrible i mean just yeah i mean there's another quote about how i might be paraphrasing but like justice in one case is injustice injustice everywhere yeah yeah i think that's really important right now because i think that there has been a lot of anti-blackness mm-hmm. um going on mm-hmm. in the asian community and at first, um, I thought it was to do with the fact that it was, um, you know, those first um, couple of hate crimes were committed by Black people. I thought that's where it's coming from, but I'm, I've, I obviously don't support anti-Blackness at all. And so I think that it has created a lot of tension within the Asian community. And it's honestly, I think that it's been quite divisive. Yeah, I completely agree. I think a big part of that is that that's part of the the narrative that 
you know, the media wants to create is that it's minority on minority. When in reality, it's it's a very, th- those are the cases they're choosing to highlight. They're picking and choosing what we see the most of. And it's just to breed more hate. And I truly think that it's because they don't want us to stand together because they realize how strong can we as minorities, as people who face oppression and racism, how strong we can be when we stand together and whatever they can do to cause that divide and to breathe that hate and that discourse between groups that just keeps, you know, the people in power in power. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's, it's all an intentional design and that's where the model minority myth is even mm-hmm. stemmed from is just trying to sow that hate between groups that you know when combined can truly cause great change for the positive exactly it shouldn't be asian community versus black community versus latino community it should be everyone against white supremacism and everyone against racism and I think that because of that, people really adopt the us versus them mentality when it's not productive. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't turn on each other. And like, again, exactly like you said, Amy, the model minority myth was designed to put Asian people on a separate um, like pedestal, but like it's never truly serving us and it's not serving other communities of color for us to pretend that it is. And we can't pick and choose what injustices are like the worst. We can't play the oppression Olympics. It's not productive. And we need to be outspoken and vocal against any anti-racism in our communities, in our society, and everything. Because like you said, we're so much stronger when we stand together. And I mean, at least for um, people in the Asian community, I saw um, this Black advocate speaking to her own community and like why should we stand with other communities when they won't stand with us and the answer is because white supremacists don't want us to and because that's going to be Mm -hmm. what changes things and creates positive change is that solidarity and at least for myself i've seen so many black advocates being so outspoken about these issues in the asian community right now and it just Mm -hmm. like fills my heart with so much like hopefulness and just joy because I like would hope that we continue to do the same. I know that um, when everything was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and that was really at a peak with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And I mean, hopefully we can all just continue to stand with one another and uplift each other's voices because they're all so important. Absolutely. A hundred percent. One thing that I personally noticed, um, because you're talking about how there's lots of black people advocating. It was actually the amount of silence from Asian doc D actors on these issues. And, you know, this makes me very sad um, because we have so few of them. Haven't been as vocal um, in, in supporting uh, Asian, Asian adoptees and just like Asian community in general. I've, at least for me, I haven't noticed any, which has disappointed me quite a bit. Yeah, it's a it's a really hard situation, I feel like, for a lot of people and for um, especially adoptees who are in the public eye to um, at least for myself, I've shared with other people that like you have. I mean, I mean, like I I feel an obligation to 
support people and to make sure people feel that they're not alone because like what you're going through I'm positive like other people feel similarly to you and like it can be scary to put yourself out there it can be scary to feel like you're rocking the boat but at least for myself I never found conformity or being well behaved to create any kind of positive change or to create any kind of um, solidarity or to inspire people at all and so um I mean, everyone is going to make their own decisions about those things. At least for myself, I never found that to be a productive use of my time and a way to create positive difference in the world. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely hard when people we look up to um, we feel like aren't aren't um, advocating for themselves in that way. So it it can be hard. It's tough. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of adoptees actually look up to you, Kira, um, because you do so much advocating. You know, it feels like you're advocating for us. Well, you are, you are in some ways. And I, yeah, think, definitely. Um, I think it's really nice to have someone, um, it's like a big sister, you know, <laughs> like preparing the world for us. So, Well, that, that means a lot to me. I, I personally, I speak for myself, but I'm sure that there's others who feel the same. Yeah. That we really appreciate what you do. That means a lot to me. I'm definitely not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I mean, you all, um, I mean, this, this, this community has, is so inspiring. I mean, everyone sharing everything and uplifting one another. And I mean, just like what you all have done with this podcast and spreading that information and giving adoptees a voice and a platform is huge because I mean, there just aren't many. And so just the more adoptees that take that into our own hands, the better. I think you, you always whenever you post things, you always have such an eloquent way of putting it without it feeling like, at least I never think that it comes off as, you know, a blame game or an attack. You just, the way that you phrase what's happening, I think is just kind of really well put. Yes. It's very polite. I, I second that. Thank you. I, I think <laughs> I that that's really, it's hard to do that when you're, especially as an Asian adoptee, when you're balancing, like we said, family that is more often than not white, but also our what we feel we need to do as members of this community. And I think that you walk the line very well. Thank you. Thank you. I definitely <laughs> do my best. It's very validating to hear, especially just, I mean, last week it's, it, it, there are just so many emotions that end up going through your mind when tragedy strikes and like everyone, like you said, um, everyone's just trying to help in that moment and just, it can be, easy to feel like you're failing in a lot of ways. So it's definitely very nice um, for you all to say that. (laughs) Thank you again so much for coming back to Somewhere Between. Of course, you all are great. (laughs) Anytime. I adore you. So any time that I can help or whatever, I'm here. (laughs) Our metaphorical door is always open to you. (laughs) Aw, I feel the same. So we're going to post a bunch, as many resources as we can gather. Um, so everyone listening, be on the lookout for those places. We're going to have a bunch as much as possible and feel free, you know, to comment, add your own as we find them and as more are created. Um, yes, because, you know, spreading awareness about these resources makes them more effective and absolutely. make sure that they absolutely. get to the people who need them. Yes. If anyone out there is interested in participating in one of our episodes, you can email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to join our Instagram family at summerbetween.fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next time.